Hello? Hi. It's been a year and a half since I did one of these. Uh, there's been some stuff, some reasons. I may have nearly died and been in the hospital for a while. <laughs> Maybe we'll get to that in another podcast, but um, I'm happy to get this back rolling. Um, this is Too Much Information with Sean Arnold. My name is Sean Arnold, uh, and we're back to talking to people that I like to talk to. So my guest today is the Senior Associate Director of Athletics and the Executive Director of the Mercer Athletic Foundation, Brian Garrity. Hey, man. How's it going? Good. Thanks for driving up from Macon, GA. Beautiful drive. To the ATL. To have, uh, you said you had lunch with the in-laws? Yes. Pond City Market. Ooh, fancy. Szechuan lunch. Did you I have mean, to take out a second mortgage on your house to basically, eat at Pond City Market? Basically. Split um, it amongst like three credit cards. So Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, had you guys been to Pond's before? Yes. Every time I go to Atlanta... I that's go your to spot? that same spot. Oh, that's your jam. Do you remember the name of the place? Chinese uh, restaurant? No, but basically it's just a plate of chili peppers with <laughs> other things sprinkled in. <laughs> so, it sounds miserable. Oh, fantastic. It sounds like I would freaking hate it. It's so like being in a sauna. So do your in-laws live up here? No, no. So you guys just can't did it was just like a day to Atlanta, day to come to Atlanta. They're in Macon. Exactly. Yes, they're in North Macon. I'm sorry, North mm. Macon. Big difference. So also fancy. Very. Fancy. Now I understand why they want to go to Pond <laughs> City Market. Probably after that, a stop by Bloomingdale's at uh, Phipps and. Uh, um, so interestingly, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, um, we're going to get into a lot of stuff, but you obviously um, are from Maine, um, and you played basketball at Bates College, which is in Maine. Yes. Um. And I'm really interested in the story about how your wife, Rachel, who's from Macon and went to Stratford. She went to Stratford. So how did that, how did that happen? So her father is a law professor at Mercer. He's been there at this point, 41 years, I think. And she wanted to change coming out of high school. So he had had a student who went to Bowdoin College which is a Bates rival. And he said, all right, Rachel, let's go up to Northeast, tour schools. And, and they went up during the summer, which is a key part of this. <laughs> <laughs> they went up during the summer, toured Bates, Bowdoin, Colby, some of the Boston schools, Middlebury out in Vermont. And she just knew when she stepped on that campus that Bates was the place for her. So being a native Macon person, she had never experienced snow. Before Halloween, her freshman year, it snowed 18 inches. <laughs> and I'm not saying like an inch here, an inch here that right. added up. I'm saying 18 at once. Right. And she called home <laughs> crying, wanting to come you know, back to Macon. This isn't for me. And her dad said, no, I already paid the bill. Like You're staying up <laughs> And you know, fast forward, it's... It was an unbelievable experience for her, but we met, I think it was my junior year we met. and That's a pretty bold move because having worked in admissions, like it's one thing if people like go way far away because there's some kind of name school, you know what I mean? Or like some kind of like something they've heard of on TV or seen football. It's a lot more rare for someone to just go probably a place that she'd never heard of, right? Exactly. A small 1,800 student school in central Maine. Yeah. <laughs> That's and a little go. different than, than Macon, Georgia. So you guys obviously dated in college. Um, and then were you guys just together ever since or were there any 
No, we, we stayed together. She graduated a year ahead of me. So she accepted a fellowship at Boston University, got her master's in broadcast journalism, which mm. was a year and a half program. So we did the long distance thing for a while and then both ended up in Connecticut after you know I got out of Bates. So then you... I know you did like a GA program, right, at Springfield? I did, Springfield and, College. And then uh, is that when you sort of figured out that, I mean, obviously you were a college athlete, so that probably informed some of the decision. But did you know, I mean, when you were a college athlete, did you go, gosh, I really want to work in athletics? Or like, how did that materialize? So it's basically two reasons. I didn't know if I wanted to coach or go into administration. I knew I wanted to be in athletics. I just didn't know which route I wanted to take. And I actually went to Mercyhurst, which is a division two school out in Erie, Pennsylvania and interviewed for a basketball coaching position. Um, it was that interview. I walked out of the interview and from that moment on, I knew a, I didn't want to coach and B <laughs> it's administration. And I got the job, I got the offer, but I mean, it was everything. It was a really, it was actually looking back a crazy interview. I mean, I had to do a mock recruiting call to the, one of the members of the coaching staff. I had to do an individual workout with a player. I had to break down film while the coach sat and watched it. I mean, it was as intense an interview process as any entry level coaching position in America. I feel like now that you've, been in the industry for a while is that normal like those kind of interviews so i've never seen one since i i think the the coach at mercy hurst actually coached me my freshman year i went division two out of high school to umass lowell and he ended up you know a couple other places and then ended up at mercy hurst and it was he i think he knew i wasn't totally sold on coaching so he wanted to put me through the full ringer to basically show me what a coach's life is like and it was walking out I, I remember what the parking lot looked like I'm walking <laughs> out Rachel was there saw me and I go no this is not happening <laughs> plus you know no offense to everyone who lives in Erie but it was a pretty miserable place <laughs> yeah, it was very I, gray when I was there yeah you mentioned her trip and like the whole thing so I got into Brown out of high school and I went to visit and made the mistake of going in the winter and I was at Pro so Providence, Rhode Island. And I'm just like, no, no but the best, way. The best Italian food you will ever have in your whole life is on Federal Hill in Providence that, you know, just close your eyes and pick a restaurant. They're all fantastic. But you missed out on that. Yeah. Well, don't they have a bunch of mafia and stuff in Providence? Well, yeah. You just don't look up from your, your plate. I saw The fine. Departed. I know the dudes from Providence came up looking for Leo DiCaprio's character. Um so then you so then you end up at Hartford, right? Yes. And you were doing what were you doing at Hartford? You raising money? Okay. My Hartford experience was actually pretty unique. So I started there as assistant director of facilities and operations. Now, there was no director. <laughs> So interesting. There were, I reported to a senior associate, but I was basically on my own. And it was, here's what we did last year. Figure it out. This is your budget. You're running all the games. So I, I want to say 
a hundred and some odd, 120 events. I mean, every home event for every sport. How many sports they have? They have Do you remember? 16, 17 sports. Sheesh. But I mean, it's, it's just until you work in facilities and operations, like you don't really realize how much goes into producing a game. It doesn't matter if it's a soccer game or a volleyball game or, you know, basketball, a lot goes in behind the scenes. And eight months in. So I basically did that for an academic year and our AD Pat Miser, she comes to me and says, you know, you'd be good on the external side. Do you, would you like to move over? I said, great. She moves me from assistant director of facilities and operations to assistant director of marketing for corporate sales. And again, there was no director. <laughs> so it's literally, it's a sweet for, you know, three desks, three staff members, and I was the only one. <laughs> so I, I did that alone for about a year, and then she promotes me to assistant AD. I hire a couple other people in and had oversight of tickets, operations, ticket sales, and program admin for women's soccer. So it, it was a great experience overseeing the marketing there. Corporate sales in Hartford is very different. Then, say, in Macon, there's Yukon right around the corner that sort of overshadows everything. It's a pro market. There's really strong minor league teams there. Um, it, it was a cool experience, but a lot of work when, when you're the sort of little brother to Yukon over there. Yeah, I can't imagine. I remember um, when football, like when we knew, you know, we were going to get football back, but nothing, you know, it was like in the Uber planning stages. I got asked to come down and do like a focus group kind of thing, you know, just talking about game day experience and stuff. And I remember as we were talking through it, because there were probably, I don't know, 12 or 15 people. It was a pretty good, you know, group of people, all alums for the most part, thinking to myself, how are we ever going to pull this off? Like, there's just so many moving pieces. It's like, even down to us talking about like, I remember at one point somebody raised their hand and said, what about trash? <laughs> and, and, and everybody just sort of went, oh yeah, like we have to have trash bags and stuff around, right? It's, but like, there's a million of those questions. What about this? Well, <laughs> I, I mean, when I interviewed for the Mercer job, I was simultaneously interviewing at University of Miami and University of Houston. And both of those jobs were the typical, you know, here's your 300 donors in your portfolio. Go work it. Move them up the ladder, yep. renew them, but just don't screw anything up. You know, <laughs> just like we have our system. Don't mess it up. Right. And then the Mercer job was, hey, we have football starting in a year. Um, we need you to come in and you know, basically build a program. And it was a fantastic experience. Looking back, I'm like, wow, the, those other two jobs would have been a lot easier, I'm sure. But, right, right. Um, I, I'll never forget. I have actually have it framed in my office. I, the day I started, there was a little, it wasn't even half a page. It was like this quarter page flyer for ticket sales for Mercer football. It was the only printed material that existed. And it had season tickets in the orange section, $50, white section, 75 I mean, it didn't even have the upper deck on, on the uh, stadium picture. And, you know, my first day, I'm sitting there going to my boss, hey, you know, what about preferred parking? What about donor-based seating? What about, he's like, whoa, whoa, we, <laughs> that's why you're here. You're like, good, good luck. <laughs> um, and it, 
it, it has been a very unique, very rewarding, but a heck of a lot of work experience. Um, and if it wasn't for Mark Wright, Mark Wright is a, a Mercer baseball alum. He's a grad assistant at Mercer for baseball. He's been head of development for Marquette. He's currently at UCF. He was at St. Louis. I mean, he's a he was up there. He was, real he deal professional. This is my career type. I think he did major gifts at Ohio State as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, he has great stories. First of all, sure. but um, I went up. He was at. Well, Marquette. he ended up mar- marrying um, O'Brien's wife. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And she was actually on staff at Marquette when he was at Marquette. And when I started at Mercer, he was still there. He hadn't moved to UCF yet. So basically, Alan London, who works in advancement, said, Brian, you should go talk with Mark. And I called Mark. He said, yeah, come on up to Milwaukee and and let, let's talk through sort of the birth of Mercer football. And I think I spent three or four days there. And we took over the women's basketball media room. It had this full wall whiteboard. And we drafted out the entire bear plus, which is our donor based programming, the entire bear plus program over the course of two, three days on that whiteboard. And if it wasn't for Mark, I mean, he's been an unbelievable resource. He always takes the, takes the call and, you know, talks through anything we're, we're doing here. And he, he's been a great friend and, and mentor, not only for that one segment of time, but throughout my time at Mercer. Yeah, he was a he was a grad assistant coach when I played baseball. So he was one of my coaches. So and, I, I got to know him way back when. It, what's funny is, you know, we we wrapped this whole thing together. You know, I'm super excited about the program and, you know, launching this to our donor base. And I get back and my boss, John Patterson, who is absolutely fantastic. He's VP of advancement at Mercer. He said, Okay, well, you got to present it to the president. I said, okay. So we go in the boardroom. It's our CFO, president, AD, and John. I'm assuming you'd never had a meeting like that with President Underwood before. Oh, I'll tell you about President Underwood in a second. All right. But, um, you know, I had this whole PowerPoint presentation laid out, and, you know, I, I get to the first slide. And as I'm starting, the president goes, whoa, 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 I'm a lawyer. I like to hear the answer first. So tell me how much money we'll make from this. And then work your way back. So I'm like, well, rip up this presentation. Let's just go off the cuff for the rest of this thing. But um, I, I actually looked at the the presentation the other day. It, it, remember, that's seven years ago. Yeah. I mean, and it, I, I just remember how excited slash nervous slash great unknown that whole process was. And, you know, it's really worked out well. Um, it, it's funny. People aren't. They don't think of themselves as, hey, I'm a $1,000 donor or I'm a $2,500 donor. They're, they're bare plus. I'm bare plus. It's just part of our diction now. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to carry over because I think that sort of existed before with President's Club, right? People thought of themselves as, pres- as President's Club, which is like a certain $1,000, right, giving level. But it's awesome to have it carry over or to, to be in the my- athletics mentality. Because prior to football, you know, there wasn't. I mean, there was not a focus, I think, as much on that. And I, and I give President Underwood a lot of credit because I was there. Our previous president, I love Dr. Godsey. You know, he was obviously his vision for the academic trajectory of the university was so bold, right? Like just 
no, no, we're not going to be just this little liberal arts college. We're going to have an engineering school that's going to be accredited by the same body that's accredited Georgia Tech. We're going to have, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to have a nursing program in Atlanta. We're going to have pharmacy. We're going to be for, I, I don't know if there's another one, but for a school our size is broad an offering academically as there is probably in the country. Well, regardless of size, we're one of the most academically diverse schools in America. Yeah, which is amazing. But President Godsey didn't really give two rips about sports. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't his jam. You know, it, it just wasn't. I mean, I actually remember having a conversation with him about it at one point, like when I was a senior or something, you know, because I was at something, because I was the student coordinator of orientation when I was a senior. And, uh, you know, you could just tell that it wasn't his focus. I mean, I don't think he disliked it, but it definitely wasn't a, you know, super priority. And I feel like President Underwood's mentality is completely different. And maybe I'm wrong, but coming from a school like Baylor that obviously was also kind of a small, you know, a smallish private school. And then look at the profile of that university since they became associated with the Big 12. And I think he gets it. You know what I mean? Like, I think he understands how important sports is to the just overall visibility and profile of the university. Well, I think one of the sort of, I, I don't know what markers, I guess you could call it before football. If you drove through the weekend parking lots on a Saturday or Sunday, just throughout campus, they're empty. Once football started, the entire culture of the campus changed. You drive through on a Saturday or Sunday now, kids stay. You know, before they'd be going up to Georgia or back home or, you know, in and out. It's a true, deep, intimate campus experience now, and, and the kids stay. It, it's fantastic. It, and, and it was the start of football that that happened. Um, I got to tell you about my interview. Uh, With Mercer? <laughs> so I, I mentioned but, President wait, Underwood. Be, before, okay. before you talk about the interview, though, so, so obviously the connective tissue is there between Rachel and her family, right, and Macon. So you were at Hartford. I mean, was it just from you, like, keeping an eye on the industry? Like, did someone find you? Like, how does, how does this gig at Mercer even come across your radar? So at Hartford, I, I was starting to look that spring of 2012. I, I had reached pretty much the ceiling of where I was going to go at Hartford. So I knew I was moving on. Rachel and I wanted to get to the south. It wasn't necessarily Mercer. It was we just want to move it's time to for the next challenge and i didn't even see the mercer job posted i had no idea it was even open and a buddy of mine he actually gave me my first job in college athletics at yale he was working at georgia tech he's now athletic director at umass his name ryan bamford he calls me and says hey there's a, a school mercer about an hour and a half south of me has a job open. I said, uh, yeah, I, I know Mercer, you know, my father-in-law works there. And he said, well, would you be interested? I'll, you know, make some calls on your behalf and, and see if you can get an interview. And I said, absolutely go for it. So if it wasn't for Ryan, I wouldn't even have known the job existed. And, you know, I, I have him to thank not only for getting me in the industry, but <laughs> for showing me the path to mercy. Yeah, that's awesome. Honestly. So now you're so you so you interview. Okay. So I flew out of Boston to come down to Mercer for my interview. And Boston was you know, it was a drive from where I was living in Connecticut. 
So I got a hotel at the airport the night before. My flight went out, I think it was like 6 a.m. flight. So I set, you know, 8 million alarms. Well, I don't know why, but I, I just messed up the time. And I'm like, oh, crap, I'm going to miss, you know, my interview at Mercer. I'm going to miss this flight. Well, I get to the airport. You're flying out of, Logan, out of Logan? Oh, yeah, out of Logan. Okay. And you know how Northeast people are. Of like, course. The, this is not the friendliest place on earth. Um, I go up to the ticket counter, and she goes, nope, nope you can't even check in like you've missed your flight. And I go, well, has the door shut? And she goes, no, but you'll never make it over there. So I said, well, just print me the ticket and let me, let me roll the dice. So she prints the ticket. I get to the security line and there are literally, it had to be a hundred people in line. Mm. And this is first thing in the morning in Boston. And I take a deep breath and I said, all right, I got to just cut this entire line. So I take a deep breath. <laughs> not get stabbed or shot. <laughs> right? Exactly. And I go past every single person. And to Boston folks' credit, not a single person tried to stop me, tried to say, what are you doing? I, and you know, I get through security, see somebody running up the hall and say, are you Brian Garrity? Yes. Come on. The doors are still open. And and I made it. So you OJ Simpson did like oh through my the, goodness. sprinting through the terminal or whatever? I mean, that moment, that deep breath, walk past security line moment. I mean, maybe I'm too polite, but I mean, that was nerve wracking. Of course. And of course, you know, this, this goes back to President Underwood and his vision and interest in athletics. You know, typical interview, you go in, meet two, three people, they make a decision and you start. I had a two-day interview, met with, gosh, 30 people. But first thing on my entire sort of itinerary was an hour meeting with the president. Mm. <laughs> You're thinking, I almost missed my flight. Then get down to Macon, and my first meeting is an hour one-on-one -on -one with the president. Do you fly in Hartsfield and then take a car down to Macon? I so did. you had another hour and a half ride once your hour and change ride once you got exactly landed. okay. And you know, I sit down, and his first question, right off the bat, not even you know, hello, how are you? Just sits down and goes, "How would you ask someone for a million dollars?" And I go. It, you know, on the spot, think same way as I asked somebody for 10, 50, 100, or 1,000. And, you know, then I went into, you know, some of the corporate sponsorship deals that we had at Hartford, et cetera. But first question right off the bat, you know, how would you ask someone for a million dollars? Yeah, I haven't been in a lot of meetings with him or anything, but I've been around him enough to where, like, he definitely seems like he's a cut to the chase kind of. He's a driver kind of guy, yeah. and that's what that's that's what that office needs. Somebody who pushes the agenda, who has a vision, and has the people to carry out his vision. So he, he's done an unbelievable job at Mercer. So was Rachel like excited about going back to Macon, or was she like, I don't know if going home? Like sometimes people don't want to do that. Well, it was funny because. First of all, first of all, she was working in career services at Connecticut College. She'd always worked in higher ed. And I get the job. This is June of 2012. I get the job, and she comes in and goes, Brian, I want to be a yoga teacher. Yeah. And I said, all right. <laughs> you know, if that's what your dream is, go for it. Right. So I go down to Macon and start end of June of 2012, and she goes out to Wisconsin to do a 200 hour teacher training. And, you know, with a lot of these trainings, it's, you know, weekend here, weekend there, and it adds up to 
200 hours. She did 200 hours straight, fully immersive, you know, experience. And so I was in Macon from about June to August before Rachel got there. And I lived at her mom's house and it was like being in high school again. It was fantastic. <laughs> uh, you know, every morning coming down and there's, right. you know, breakfast down there and, you know, <laughs> coming home. How was work today? <laughs> you know, but um, we never thought we'd ever be in Macon. She never thought she'd ever move back. And Macon's a really cool city. Yeah. And I, I don't know what it was like, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, but it's fantastic and it's growing and it's vibrant and the downtown is alive. Um, but it was funny when, when Rachel got back to Macon after her training, she didn't know her way around downtown at all because growing up, she grew up in North Macon, which is a totally different world than downtown. And at that time, if you live in North Macon, there was no real reason to go downtown. Yeah, it's there like being in the suburbs in you Atlanta. Know? You can totally survive out here. You don't have to go into town if you don't want to. So, you know, but, two and a half months into to Mercer, I know every street in downtown at this point because I didn't have a, a, a my family there. I'd, I'd drive around a bunch and she doesn't know, you know, where Cherry Street is. <laughs> you know? Which is so, hilarious. Um, but we, we decided to live downtown. We we got a, a house, three houses away from campus. Um and now we couldn't imagine living anywhere outside of downtown. Yeah. Where, so where are you got, like just generally, I mean, so are you on like the college street side so of campus? So it's Bells Hill neighborhood. So you get to the end of college street and you turn left down the hill and that neighborhood is pretty much all Mercer people now. So you turn left right before you're coming into the university and the Correct. alumni house is on your right and you go down that way. Yes. Okay. Yes. So there's railroad tracks and then beyond the tracks, I mean, there's probably four blocks of all Mercer folks in, in houses. Yeah, Macon's never been terrible. I mean, obviously, I was there 30 years ago or wait. No. Yeah, you're 20, old, huh? 25 years ago. I'm old. <laughs> um, 24 years ago. I'm 40, I'll, be, I'll be 45 next Friday. Um, it's interesting with Macon because it's always kind of gotten a rap. You know what I mean? Like, I think there are, and believe me, back in the day, like any major city, there were sections of town where you were like, man, you do not want to end up over there. But I think that's sort of a bad, again, like that's true for like any city I've ever been in. There's always a section oh, yeah. where people are like, but one of the things that's amazing and one of the reasons why I think Mercer is like Mercer has been such a huge driver in the revitalization of the city, um, whether it's. You know, obviously football and stuff has had a massive impact. Um, you know, when I was in school, the area where like Frank cars, you know, there's an area next to the university for people that don't know the university that has um, retail and, you know, a fountain and it looks at brick stuff and it looks all amazing. Well, when I was there, that was like a laundromat, a bar that had like $2 all you can drink nights and a, like a Chevron station that had bars and stuff on the window, you know, like and it was right up against campus. But, you know, they've done that. They've brought in, you know, they have all these developmental programs to bring in industry. You know, they're doing this thing now with technology where they're doing this incubator stuff. They've bought so much property, you know, downtown. You know, I know the advancement offices were downtown for um, a long time in an area where when they went there, quite frankly, people would be like, why would you put an office there? You know, and now that area has totally come up. And I mean, so I give the university a ton of credit. I mean, it's certainly an, another big thing when I was there, you know, there were certain manufacturing um, you know, companies that went away that were a big hit. Like, 
you know, YKK, you know, the zipper manufacturing was there. And I think that Brown one, and Williamson, Brown and Williamson was the big one. Right. Yeah. So that one went and like my dad's from Macon and he, you know, his, my grandfather worked in a, in a, in a mill village, like a cotton, you know, it's a cotton mill. And, um, you know, when the manufacturing stuff started to go, I think the city was really on a point where it could, it could have easily have toppled over. Right. When you start to lose industry and stuff. And I really do. And, and I mean, I think Dr. Godsey, you know, he did a lot, but it, I mean, President Underwood and the rest of the administration, I think, is you know really taking an aggressive like stance of like this is our city, and and you know they're one of the biggest employers, and obviously something you associate with the city, kind of like with Athens and the University of Georgia. I mean, it is Mercer is making. Yeah, it's as intertwined with the city of, as any school I've ever seen. It, it is not a bubble that is separate than the city. It's sort of Mercer's fate is Macon's fate, and vice versa. And it's one of those things that's frustrating for me because I obviously engage a lot with football fans from other schools, particularly in our conference. And a very common thing is for them to take shots at Macon. It was funny when, when <laughs> remember, I'm from the North. And you know, during my interview, I pull in downtown to the, that advancement office you were talking about. And they were filming the movie 42, the Jackie Robinson sure. movie. And I had no idea that a bunch of movies were filmed in Macon. So I pull in and there's just old fashioned cars everywhere. People in, you know, zoot suits <laughs> and everything all over the place. I'm like, was, did I step back in time? Like, what is this? Is this what the South is like? And, you know, I shortly found out they were filming a movie and the people did have, you know, modern cars <laughs> and modern clothing. <laughs> but, it wasn't like Cuba where just exactly. everything's like the 1950s, like... <laughs> Like deuce deuce, you know, just sitting over there. Um, that's hilarious. Um, so what, so this is what I'm curious about. Just th this is less related to the university and more just, are there any things about coming from a place like New England to the, I mean, the deep South, right? Like, although I think Macon is obviously pretty cosmopolitan. I mean, it's a, I think it's a third or fourth largest city in Georgia the third I think right it's like Atlanta Augusta Macon maybe I think Columbus so, is in yeah. there it's one of those right there's four four big towns in the in Georgia basically um is there anything that stands out to you that like when you got here you were like holy crap this is way different so when I after I got the job I take a uh a, you know pack my car up drive down to Macon and get off exit 172 Bass Road. Yep. And there's a Flash Foods right there, gas station. And I pull up to the pump, walk inside, and I'm standing in line. And the guy in front of me just turns around and just starts talking to me. <laughs> and I just sort of immediately tense up. Like, why is this guy talking to me? Then the guy behind me chimes in, and we have a conversation for like five minutes. And I'm thinking, you know, Hartford, Connecticut, you know, at a downtown gas station, you know, I might get stabbed if I talk to somebody. <laughs> but fast forward, I don't know, two, three years later, I go up to Boston and I was meeting a buddy. So I'm sitting on a sidewalk on a bench for, I don't know, 15 minutes, let's say. I bet a hundred people walked by and not a single person even looked at me, much less said hello to me. And I'm thinking, why, why are these people so rude? I mean, nobody's talking to me. It's like <laughs> now, now I'm all, you know, my brain is rewired to, to, for life in Macon. And, you know, I just, everybody when I started was so open and offering to help and 
would engage with me. And it, it, the social scene in Macon is just so different than the North. I mean, I don't think I knew a neighbor from the time I graduated college till I moved to Macon. I don't think, you know, when you're young, you move like every year. Yeah. I don't think I ever knew a neighbor ever. And now I know my whole block and people down the street and people who work at the gas station or work, you know, at the restaurants and socially everyone's just so more you know, willing to give you their time and talk and say hello and, yeah, I know some of it's fake, and so, you know, you know that they turn around and roast you, you yeah, know, yeah. when you walk away. But bless his heart. I love <laughs> Southern culture, and I love the sayings. I love, you know, I, I, this has been a very positive move for me, and I don't, I don't know if I would move back to New England. Do you do you think that this sort of translates a little into your job? And I'm legitimately curious because I only know. It from the perspective of being a Mercer grad and a Mercer supporter. You know, I don't have any other context. Do you feel like that carries over, like that sort of mentality with the alumni base? Like, I guess what I mean is, is do you feel like people are more or less loyal at a place like Mercer than they would be at a place like yes. up north or whatever? I, I think that fundraising in the south is totally different than the north. Um, I think that it's more relationships are deeper and more important with their school than, than it is at a lot of places in the North. And, you know, I'm not talking about Yale or Harvard or Princeton or just the average person in the North is more inclined to support, you know, the Patriots than it is, Mm -hmm. you know, Bentley college. Um, I think people, uh, and I think it has to do with football. Honestly, I think that those, generational loyalties to football programs, whether it's Georgia or Ole Miss or, you know, one of the SEC schools or on a micro scale, a Mercer or, you know, Stetson. Um, I think people associate more with their colleges in the South than, than in the North. Um, and, and uh, our donor base is very in tune to everything that goes on. Um, whether it's, a change in the football coach or the graduation speaker or, you know, something in between, you know, people really pay attention and they really care. Yeah. I mean, that's been my experience. Um, and I wondered how it was going to transition, right? Like I knew people would be excited about football, but people do have those allegiances of other places where they necessarily didn't go because we just didn't have an outlet for it. And I wondered how it would translate. I actually sort of gotten into a little bit of a row with my mother. Not really a row, but like, you know, it's been going on for years and years. But every year in Christmas, like little present, she would give me Georgia stuff, (laughs) you know, like a shirt, a sweatshirt. And finally, a couple of years ago, I was like, I don't wear like I don't wear these. You know, like I, I still root for Georgia. If they're on TV, I'll watch them. But like I've never missed a, I've never missed a Mercer game because Georgia was playing. You know what I mean? And it's weird because I never thought. I mean, that's such a part of my childhood. My father, my grandfather. I mean, that's what we did, right? Saturdays we watched the University of Georgia play football. Um, and it wasn't like a conscious decision I made. It just got to a point where I was like, well, I didn't go. And it's weird that football was the catalyst because I always had been a Mercer grad. Right. 
But until football came along, that's when I said, well, I didn't go to Georgia. Why am I wearing Georgia stuff all the time? Or why am I repping UGA? You know, that's not my school. And it's funny. My daughter's six, and she's grown up in Macon. She, to this day, if she sees anything, Georgia's sticker, Georgia's sweatshirt, she looks, and Mercer is by no means in any sport, in any way, academically, nothing. They're, we are polar opposites of Georgia. <laughs> we are not rivals. We are not. Yeah. She sees those sweatshirts. Georgia Bulldogs, boo, boo, <laughs> thumbs down. And, and, you know, we'll be in public and some dude will walk by and boo, Georgia, boo. And I'm like, where did this come from? <laughs> well, fortunately in the South, if she was in the North, you know, somebody might throw a snowball at her exactly. or whatever. But down here, people probably just think it's the six-year-old being cute. You know what I mean? So, um, but it it is, it's amazing. And again, that wasn't a conscious decision of mine. I mean, it just developed, you know, as... And I'm sort of still, I mean, I'm wearing, I'm sitting here in a Mercer sweatshirt right now. Um, but it's just a fascinating, did, so here's a question that might be a little inside baseball and you, you don't have to answer this if you, if you can't, do you think that, and I think I know the answer. Cause again, like having a probably decent handle on president Underwood and his mentality, but do you think there was ever any sort of contingencies or side thought of anyone that like, this is just net, this is not going to work. Like we're going to try this and then we're going to have to, in five years, we're going to be like, what did we do? No. And the the reason I say no is we went all in and this is nothing against Stetson. I think it's a great school. They've almost dipped their toe into football. You know, they started out non-scholarship, which we did as well, but they didn't build a stadium. They, they took a much slower route. They didn't put the resources in that we put. I think that we did it right. We had the practice year. We knew at some point, I I think this decision was made before I got there, but you know, we went non-scholarship with the thought, okay, we're going to move up to scholarship at some point. I don't think anybody knew that it would be as quickly as it <laughs> a did, year in yeah. one year in, but it was always, we're going to build this and build it right. And there was never any, you know, scrimping or saying, ah, I don't know if we should do that yet. It was, we're going all in. I mean, down to the stadium. I mean, within the stadium, it was supposed to be phase one, two lower decks. And that's it. Then the field house in the end zone and a scoreboard. Well, the tickets sold so quickly right off the bat that before the stadium was even done, we went into sort of phase one a and added the upper deck on the home side. So I think that having a president that is really in tune with athletics, somebody who understands the value and what athletics can do for a university. When he starts something, he's going to do it right. And he's going all in on it. It's not going to be, let's test this out. And I mean, if you look at across campus, you know, lofts, it, for the average school, if you build one building, it's a big deal. We've basically built five series of lofts, a new dorm, new quad. All the athletic facilities have been overhauled. I mean, not only athletics, just a, a president that is understands a larger vision and wants more for a university. It, it's just it, it's great to work for someone like that. 
Now there's pressure, obviously. Of course. <laughs> you know, the goals go up every year. But um, without a dynamic and sort of forward-thinking leader like that, all of the success at Mercer would never – I don't think it would have ever, ever happened. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and obviously just even non-sport – I mean, the, you know, the Science Center, for example. Like, just that place is – I mean, I mean it's as me. big as our university yeah. center. I mean, I was in Willet, you know, when it was old Willet, you know what I mean? And it was just like, that was the site of the famous uh, first meeting with uh, Coach Myers, our baseball coach, <laughs> Big Cat, where we were going to do fall practice and it had been raining for about a week and a half, it feel, felt like. And, you, you know, he, we go into the auditorium and um, just as plain as day, like he's talking about baseball stuff, you know, or whatever. And then he goes, all right, I need... Uh, uh, freshmen and juniors uh, tomorrow are going to be planting rice. <laughs> Sophomores and seniors are going to be constructing an arc. <laughs> and like, we didn't know, you know, freshmen, we were like, is he serious? Like, what's he talking about? But like, that ratty auditorium, like the one like large auditorium on the entire campus, because his classes are so small that you don't have those, right? You don't have these like 100 seat rooms. But that building's unreal. Like, what they've done, like, I mean, I don't even know what the final price tag was. I'm sure it was tens of millions of dollars. You know, we had a professor interview with us from MIT. Uh, I don't know what the chemistry is in the science building. And they were asked, you know, how does this new building compare with what MIT has? And they said, look, within Boston, you can find absolutely every piece of equipment you could ever imagine this building has all of it. You know, for MIT, I might have to go to Harvard to use XYZ piece of equipment, or I might have to go over to Boston University to use XYZ piece of equipment. But here, you have everything within one building. And they were blown away. And that's MIT, <laughs> you know, a place that they have unlimited money, resources, et cetera. And right. I'm trying to remember what year the UC got built in what, like, oh, is it 01 to 04 it was that's built? Maybe. So it, was, it was early 2000s. Yeah. I mean, because that's when I might have was working in admissions. Um, but that's the thing. It's not just football. Like, the basketball arena is amazing. You know, there's been work into the softball fields, and the baseball field got a stadium, and, the you know, the soft for soccer pitch is head stuff. I mean, it's, it's really been pretty all-encompassing. And – you know, speaking of the North again, I, I don't think if you were to pick up Mercer's campus and just drop it in New England, it would be in the Patriot League. It, it's basically a Patriot League school in the South. Um, I would put our facilities up against any mid-major in America. I mean, honestly, I say that dead straight face looking you in the eye. I mean having been to a ton of the schools in the Northeast and, you know, all uh, basically all the conference schools for the Southern Conference. And there, there, there's bigger facilities, but in terms of quality, game day experience, fan experience, I mean, there's, we're <clears throat> as good as anybody. So I'm curious about, let's just talk about fundraising in general. Okay. And sort of conceptually, you obviously saw the numbers and stuff prior. You knew what Mercer was doing prior to, <clears throat> excuse me, prior to football. But when you came in, like the football decision had already been made, right? Like you, the, the football decision had been made. We were 
a year out from our first game. And so you were basically were able to come in and sort of draft a strategy around everything else, but also able to include this, like the push with football. Yes. So, I mean, it really did make like an astronomical difference. Yes. Right. So, you know, the first assumption that everyone makes is, oh, football started. So everybody jumped on board. Well, that's true, but the newness wears off pretty quick. And sustaining growth and keeping donors is is a huge challenge when you when you start when it's shiny and brand new, everybody wants to have a part of it, especially when you don't have the success that you hope you have. I mean, we won 10 games our first year, which is a national record, but we had 5 years of 500 football. So you know, year five, and remember, the, our shift in giving, we were 95% alums when I first started. And they were people who I give because I love Mercer. That's it. Five years later, we're 50-50 alums community. Really? Now, that's wonderful. That's how you grow. You have to engage your local community. But those are the first people who say, ah, you know, I only went to two games last year. I'm not going to renew. It's easy to walk away when you don't have an affiliation with the school. So it's keeping those people engaged, showing them how much Mercer means to Macon, and showing them the impact football has had on the on the local community. And you know that that shift was brutally hard, difficult. I mean, going back to the North Macon versus Macon, we have donors who the first football game was the first time they've been to campus in, you know, 15 years and they live five miles away. Um, so I think moving forward, continuing the growth, we're going to have to have more success on the field. I think everybody knows that. Um, but it's continuing to get the leaders within middle Georgia involved. And I think we do a good job of it, but I think there's still some, some folks out there who, who, should get involved and will get involved. Yeah. It's interesting because I think there's obviously, to me, I feel like just looking from the outside, there's kind of two tracks, right? There's, to what you're saying, right? There's a tract of like, we need to massage, facilitate, um, empower like the donors we have, like me, right? Like I'm going to support the university, right? Whether we're winning, losing, right? doesn't matter. Um, but then it does feel like there are oftentimes these inflection point type events or things that can really affect it. I would assume either good or bad. So one of the things I want to ask you about, because you were around for it was, I'm sure most people, even people listening to this that aren't Mercer people remember when Mercer went up to Raleigh and beat Duke in basketball in the. I'll never say this either. It's the damn first round of the tournament. I hate now that they call the first round the second round because they play the playing games. That's lame. The first round of the tournament, but what the NCAA would call the second round. Um, that's one of like the greatest moments of my life, right? Like I just just from an experiential standpoint and like watching it and my phone going crazy and everybody, you know what I mean? It was such a huge thing. What were the ripples or the echoes on in your like? How did that impact? Did it? I mean, or was it just sort of like it was cool for a minute and then it was just sort of back to business as usual? Well, it, it definitely impacted retail because 
basically the whole bookstore sold out within <laughs> you know 24 hours. It impacted admissions. Um, it impacted. I mean, you cannot purchase that type of advertising. Our our admission site shut down that that afternoon. I mean, there was so much traffic. Wow. It literally shut down. And, you know, we have all these facts and figures about the Duke impact and the number of impressions and views and mentions and, you know, Google searches, et cetera. And that Duke effect was beyond anything anyone could ever purchase. And having your little dancing reserve guard end up on SportsCenter and exactly uh, flowing exactly. up to Bristol to do a commercial for SportsCenter or whatever. I mean, we, we truly, I mean, went viral. Yeah. And does that impact giving? Yes, some. Um, you know, a lot of people got excited and make, make a $50 gift. I, I don't know. Um, it, does it, sustain giving for a long time no yeah um we had the processes and framework in place to sort of keep that momentum going if it happened in a vacuum without football without you know anything else happening then i think you could get clearer numbers but that was 2014 that was one year into football yeah. you know it, it's hard to separate is that is this person giving because we just be duke or are they just renewing their football gift. So right. I think that was just an incredible time of growth with a bunch of sports having success with basketball sort of gearing up after a three-year sort of elevator ride and finally winning the big one. Um, it was just a very special time. And we've continued to grow since. And we haven't had the same level of success in basketball as we had in 14, we haven't had the same level of success in football as we had in 13. So, you know, I think people are just in general, they understand, Hey, I'm supporting kids with my gifts. The game day experience is fantastic. It's family friendly. There's plenty to do. I I'm greeted with a smile every time I walk in, you know, the game day makes a big difference. Um, because, you know, if, if you're only looking for on the field, you know, wins and losses, go to Georgia. I mean, their, <laughs> their level of competition is much higher than ours. So go, go there if all you're interested in is, you know, wins and losses. But at Mercer, it's a whole much more than that. You can get to know our starting point guard if you want to know them. You can bring your family, go to bouncy houses, and go to the game and be home by dinner. You know, there it's a totally different experience. One's not better than the other, but we do a really good job of maximizing our place in the sort of sports hierarchy. You mentioned the athletes and stuff, and one of the things I think that most people don't understand that just sort of see college football as like a one big thing, you know, like they don't necessarily understand the fundamental differences between like SEC and, you know, the Southern Conference, right? Um, which the Southern Conference has a pretty storied history. Like pretty much every school that's in the oh, SEC, the SEC was born from, came from the Southern from, Conference, from the SoCon. But you know, especially when it comes to the student athletes, I mean, there's certainly some mild exceptions, right? Where kids get in the NFL. I mean, you, you know, you can point at some very specific ones, like Carson Wentz, who is the quarterback of the Eagles now, who was at North Dakota State. Um, Cooper Cup, who was a receiver at Eastern Washington, who's now like a star for the Rams. Um, but, you know, you don't really deal with a lot of like kids leaving early for the NFL or, you know, 
a different thing in FCS is dealing with kids that like take a retro year and then have a fifth year and deciding if they actually want to play or they just want to graduate and go live, right? Like go out into exactly. the world and, and, and get a job and, or go to grad school um, or go to grad school at Mercer, I guess, and still play football. But that's something you don't really get a lot at, at big time football programs, you know? Um, and just the different experience that the student athlete, I mean, I don't, I love watching college football, but this is just, and this is one man's opinion, but let's be honest. Like, the NFL would never want anything to happen to the mechanism that is college football because they basically have a free minor league system. Right. I mean, it's effectively semi-professional football, right? Like you can act like it's something else, but that's what it is. Whereas at a place like Mercer in most places, right? Just pick our conference, Furman, Wofford, right? These kids are like legit student athletes, right? There's no, there's no getting into Mercer with minimum scores. Right, oh, because our first football, our first football team had twenty three engineering majors. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, mean that's that doesn't happen. I mean, one of our best defenders this year, who just graduated, Dorian Kithcart, was engineering. Right, he was, and then he, I can't even remember what, but he won all these. Oh, he had a, a job offer before his senior year even started. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I mean, you know, he won like all these awards, you know, for his academics and for his engagement with the community, and like. These are not kids that are, you know, I mean, riding out, and less than we talk about college basketball where guys come in there for a year and play their games and then go get their NBA contract. But I mean, these are kids that are, you know, they have a, a, a fairly typical, I think, student experience. They just have a sport that's in play, right? As opposed to others. Now, that's not to say that there's probably some perks. I mean, even when I was there, when it wasn't a deal, there's certainly some perks to being on a sports team, but you know, nobody's, nobody's giving you cars or bags of cash or, you know, right. <laughs> taking your test for you. You know what I mean? And again, I'm not making an insinuation that that goes on anywhere in large schools. But I, I do think that that to me is what I try to tell people about giving is that, you know, remember when you were a student and how much your dollars actually impact these kids that are, you know, really do impact them, right? Give them the things they need to be successful and to go carry that Mercer banner beyond their school years. You know what I mean? And to go out and and do things. And I just, I don't, I mean, do you feel like you see a, a you know, do, I mean, I'm, of course you see it, but like, does that sort of echo why you feel about the difference between what I would consider like power five football and, or, or, or power five anything, right. And sort of mid-major anything. See, I could not, I could not work at a school that didn't value academics. I, I could, I, I couldn't work at a, you know, athletic factory. You know, let me, let me turn it around to you as a donor. If we were, solely concerned with wins and losses. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Not screw the, yeah it's just not <laughs> what Mercer is. Yeah, I'm not and interested. that's, that's the beauty of our level is you really know that these kids, first of all, are amateurs. They're, right. they're not doing it as a stepping stone to the NFL or to, well, we, we did have national player of the year in baseball. Yeah. Um, he's a, he's a little bit of an anomaly. He's an anomaly. <clears throat> um, or an outlier. As but these Mr. kids would say. are, first of all, sitting down and talking to our athletes is fantastic. I love it when they come to my office because they talk about their classes, their internships, their interests outside of their sport, their art, they write. They, I mean, these are true, well-rounded kids. There's, you know basic there's a whole segment where i said if my daughter turns out like xyz 
athlete on Mercer's soccer team or basketball team, I'd be thrilled. Um, and we start these donor programs specifically to have interactions between donors and athletes because as soon as those donors actually speak to them, get to know them, I mean, after after this podcast today, I have the basketball teams, men's and women's, coming to a donor's house for dinner. And those interactions, the kids are just so impressive, honestly, that people want to get involved once they meet them. And, you know, our, our basketball team struggled the last few years. But the kids are fantastic. You talk about Ethan Stair, who's probably our best player right now. Phenomenal kid. I mean – you you could sit and talk to him for an hour and he'd keep you engaged and and you know he's going to be hugely successful i mean corsi from our yeah. our duke team he he played semi pro basketball in the d league or g league and then when he's getting a, a graduate degree now and he's going to be i can't remember if it's a pa a anesthetist however you say anethetis, it. <laughs> yeah. that's a hard one yeah but you know it's so much more than just, wow, you had 14 points last night, <laughs> you know, and, and that's what I love that these are actual human beings, not, you know, robots that play sports. So this is a total, this is a caveat here, but interesting. So I know you're not necessarily one to two, you're on horn, but I do know that you scored 1200 points at base. 1209. 12, there we go. 1209. Um, and I'm pretty sure you're still in the top eight or nine or so in this, in scoring in history there. Right. So, do you think in engaging, cause I'm sure like for me, like if I'm around baseball players, I feel more, most comfortable, right? Like that's my game. Right. Do you like, do you, do you get it? Do you get to have those kinds of conversations? Like do kids know your background? Do you ever get to engage with them as like a former student athlete yourself? So that, that was pretty good. I, I love to shoot against our team, <laughs> especially that I, I like shooting against the women's basketball team because you know, I'm just some old guy walking through and they never expect it. Yeah. And, hey, I, I, it's probably a violation, but I, I got a free coffee the other day because, <laughs> you know, they challenged me to, to shoot off. But, um, <laughs> you know, those lighthearted sort of off-the-cuff interactions where you get to really see those kids' personalities and shine through and talk a little junk, I mean, that's what I love about college athletics. Uh, you know, I, there's a, a segment of people who really get excited to stand on the sideline for a Michigan-Ohio State game. That That's not me. I'd rather be at a small school where I get to know our athletes, first-name basis, joke around with them, you know, get to know their interests. And, you know, as much as you'd like to, that's just not happening at a, I don't know, Texas A&M where you have 40 some odd people working in development and another hundred working in the athletic department. So it, there's a small school lifestyle. Yeah. I, we won't win the Rose bowl, right. <laughs> but you know, I, I get to go home at night, see my daughter and, and tell her about her friend Jasmine on the soccer team, you know? Yeah. And that's one thing about Mercer that's unique. And I don't mean to turn this into like an infomercial for Mercer, but, and I won't tell the stories I've told them on here before, just about my experience, but you know, and a couple of new ones other than like the way they supported me when I was in school when my dad got sick, you know, and that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, I was in the hospital last year and, you know, like just little stuff. I mean, I think either you or Allie Ware, I'm sure were the ones that had to do with this, but like, 
a bunch of football players recorded me like a six second message, you know, that was just like, Hey, we're praying for you, you know, go bears. You know what I mean? And the president of the damn university came to my hospital room, you know, like he and John Patterson came by to see me at the hospital. And I think when I end up in, so I'm in an age now. And, and I, no offense, but you're not like a T Boone Pickens. Absolutely not. <laughs> like, just for the listeners out there, you know, Sean's a wonderful person, yeah. wonderful guy, great donor, but he's not T Boone Pickens. No, I'm certainly not putting, <laughs> I'm certainly not naming the football stadium, right? Like I'm definitely not in anywhere in the stratosphere of that. Um, but like, I just, I, I have a lot of, at my age now, I have lots of friends that have kids that are at that age now, right? Where they're, they're looking at schools. And I think as an admissions person, you know, performer life, I have a lot of ideas about how kids should evaluate where they want to go to school. Cause normally they evaluate them for all the wrong reasons. Like again, like who's your favorite football team? That should not be a reason you should pick school, but that people do that all day. Right. Oh yeah. Um, but I just don't like, to me, those are things that intangibly that you just can't put a price on, you know, like the idea that someone would take a few minutes, like the kids, right? I'm sure somebody just said, Hey, there's an alum and he played baseball here and he's really sick. Would you guys take some time out of your day? But it seems like, but it's not, I mean, it's like, well, everybody's got to get there. Everybody's got to set it up. You got to tape the thing. You got to go, you know, those kids got tons to do. But I'm sure they happily did it. I'm sure nobody had to drag them over there to do it. And the other piece of that, too, it's not done with cameras in the room or the media watching or posting it on social media to get a bunch of likes. And no, this it was came a to me directly. Yeah. Text message to you. No one will ever see. Yeah. Other than they're, they're doing it to impact you yeah. as a human being, you. Not, wow, Mercer's great because their athletes help someone who's sick. You know, it's, this is a very personal thing. And yeah, it's just extraordinary. And I'm sure there are other schools that attempt to do that, right. Or do it to a degree. But I, again, I only know what I know, but um, those are the things that just are to me, like I just couldn't, because I wasn't originally going to go to Mercer. I was going to go to Duke. And the only reason I didn't go to Duke is because I would have had to borrow they weren't giving me nearly as much money and I'd heard rumors that the baseball coach was leaving and I didn't want to be one of those people where you go in and then the guy's gone and then you've got a coach that doesn't know you. You know what I mean? Cause I'm, cause I grew up in middle Georgia and I was, that's why I asked the question earlier about Rachel. I was like, I don't want to go be around my grandparents. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like what? That's crazy. But then when I went there and just f- like visited, right. And fell in love with the place. Oh, you just know. Yeah, when I it, stepped foot on Bates campus, I knew. Yeah, I just and, I knew, and I was like, "Holy crap, this is it!" And it was the same thing for you, even though I'm Southern. But it was still like, students said hello and administrators, and I was just a regular old high school kid there on a tour, you know. But it was so welcoming and inviting, and you know that, and that's just a that's a huge big deal for me. So one of the things I wanted to also give you a chance to talk about because I think is one of the super cool things that we do that I don't even know if other schools do. You probably do, but about 400 Club. Can you talk about 400 Club? Okay, so. I haven't found a school that does it like we do. Basically, we pair a donor with an athlete who is a sophomore. Um, reason we pick sophomore is, you know, after freshman year, maybe they decide to pursue something else, transfer, doesn't You'll work out. You'll have some more attrition as a right. freshman than a sophomore. Yeah. So we wait till sophomore year, get to know the kids, and, and we pair donors and athletes. And it's a three-year commitment 
you get to watch your athlete basically grow up for three years at Mercer. A lot of places have sort of scholarship programs where you support the scholarship of an individual athlete, but it's sort of, it's very limited in the interaction you have with that athlete. It's here's your scholarship dinner in the fall where you sit with your athlete and then we'll see you next fall for the dinner again. And that's it. With us, we have, you know, donors who really become friends. I don't friends is maybe the wrong word, but mentor, mentee. Yeah. Friendships, someone to cheer for. There's a real relationship. It's not. It's a yeah. strong relationship. Yeah. Now, there are some who basically say, I like knowing I'm supporting someone. I don't want to waste their time. Here's a check. Thank you. But we have a core group that go over to their house for dinner or get to know their sons and daughters or, you know, after a game are texting, hey, that was a phenomenal third quarter, you know, that kind of thing. And it's so bought in on both sides because those athletes know, hey, I have, if I do this right, this high level Mercer donor, alum, friend of the program will write me a recommendation letter because they know me or maybe they'll have a job for me when I graduate. And we've seen it and, and witnessed those relationships grow and turn into jobs. Um, it, it's really the coolest program I think we have and it's still growing. It, it's started out as an experiment almost and now we're doing monthly meetings with the athletes. We invite a different donor in each month to talk with the whole group of all the athletes in the program. And we call it 400 fun. But we have 400 and some odd student athletes. And we have about 40 kids in the program. So it's a big deal to be selected. I know, you know, most people don't think about their careers until they graduate. I mean, did you know what you were going to do when you were a sophomore? I didn't like, know what I was going to do no, a year after I, I, I got out of school. I still don't know what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but these kids, uh, we we basically say, okay, you're a finance major. We're going to put you with a wealth manager who, you know, personality wise, might get along with you, and we just sort of watch it grow from there. Uh, you would have been a good 400 fund athlete. You're uh, personable. You'll 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 talk. The worst, the, you know, it's funny. Everyone's like, "Oh, well, is it based on grades?" <laughs> well, some is it based on you know how good they are in the court? Eh, a little, but it's that sort of intangibles. Their personality may, may means more than anything else. Yeah, you can spot like that person that's like willing to and capable of engaging. Right? Exactly. Like, you can see that. You can spend time with someone and find out really fast whether or not they're, you know, or they're even interested, right? Like, that's probably a big part of it, too, is, like, picking an athlete that's interested. Because some of them might just want to keep their head down and do their business and not worry about talking to some old guy that used to, you know, <laughs> get home runs hit off him. You know what I mean? Or whatever. But uh, I, lo- I think that program's amazing. I'm pro- and 400 fun. Sorry, I called it 400 club. Um, but well, take Judge Drake. He's probably the most well-respected alum that we have. I mean, he across the board. So for those of you that don't know Mercer, he's the Fieldhouse is named after is named after, and him. he's a federal bankruptcy judge. I mean, as well-respected as any person you will ever meet in history. If you walk into his office right now, 
there's a framed picture of Peyton Usher in his office, who was his 400 fund athlete. Nice. He's a running back from Noonan who, I mean, they're lifelong friends. That's great. I mean, it's, it, it gives me chills actually. I mean, that's what the program's about right there. That picture in judge Drake's office is what it's about. Yeah. And even, even within, you know, I don't, I'm trying to decide if I should put this out on front straight or not. Um, I don't think he would care. So I know a guy, maybe I just won't name the guy. So there's a friend of mine who's a family friend that came to Mercer to play football. And he wasn't sure, you know, when he was getting ready to graduate, what he wanted to do. And I think he ran across President Underwood somewhere. And just, you know, President Underwood was just asking him about, what are you going to do? And he was, and he just sighs like, I don't know. And President Under goes, well, come up, make an appointment, come out my office, we'll talk about it. And so he did. And, you know, President Underwood sent out three or four emails, and all of a sudden he's got people wanting to interview him for gigs. And he ended up taking a gig. So he's working for Merck, right, which is the Mercer Engineering Research Center. And, I mean, it's a good gig. It's good money. It's great experience. It's He's still in Macon. He's still connected to the community, you know, but like again, like what? It, but looking at your face right now, like your eyes are lit up telling that story. Yeah, it's amazing. And if I had instead said, you know, Sean, huh? I was at the basketball game the other night and, you know, we hit four straight threes and <laughs> got a steal and one by four, you'd be like, okay. <laughs> I, your eye, I, you would not have lit up from that. Yeah. But telling the story of a kid interacting with the president, I mean, that, that gets people excited. Um, you know, the, the stats are great. You got to wear in a win, win and loss industry. So yes, it's important, but it's all the other stuff that that's inspiring. Yeah, no doubt. So I want to talk too. so we, we've touched on a lot of things and I think it's interesting because you ended up writing a book called building the bear. Yes. All about your experience, right? Coming in at a program that was bringing in football and effectively fundamentally changing the DNA of Athletics fundraising. Am I overstating it or is that? Okay. First, are you a big reader? Yeah. Okay. Bad person to ask that. <laughs> you know, the average person gets a 300 page book. Okay? Yeah. I'm a weirdo. I read a lot. Reads a hundred pages, puts it down, forgets about it and never touches it again. But, you know, that always happens. Yeah. First of all, the book wasn't supposed to be a book, but it turned into a book. So we'll go back to that. But I wanted to write something that was you sit down, start to finish in 45 minutes. Like you don't put it down. You don't forget about it. Start to finish done under an hour so that, you know, not this overwhelming, massive text that right. makes you, you know, forget it. Um I actually, it goes back to grad school, the whole process of that book. Um, I knew I wanted to be in a mid-major, smaller school. So you Google that. There's, there's no text written anywhere about how the nuts and bolts operate of a mid-major. I mean, there's plenty of higher ed fundraising books. There's you know, case study after case study on North Carolina basketball revenues and you know, Power Five, this and that. But the mid-major realm, which everybody's in, you know, there's what, 70 Power Fives? There's 
300 mid-majors. Yeah. So it's like most of us live in that world. And it was so frustrating in grad school looking for information and not finding it. Well, then fast forward, Jeremy Darlow. Have you ever read Jeremy Darlow's book? Mm-mm. Giving Jeremy a shout out. He wrote two books, Brands Win Championships and Athletes Are Brands Too. I recommend both of them. They're really interesting reads full of you know facts, figures, case studies, examples. I'll put the links to the description in the, uh, or the links to the books in the description of the podcast. But my frustration, I've told this to Jeremy, um, everything in his books is about the power five. So in, in brands win championships, you know, you gotta have, you know, interesting uniform combinations like Oregon. Well, there's one Oregon got to put a coach on a pedestal like coach K. Well, there's one coach K, you know, it, it didn't translate it to a mid-major sort of lifestyle and reality. So I was like, screw it. I've been, I, I write all the time. I have all these little, little notebooks. I was like, I'll turn my notebooks into a paper, basically. So I did. And then I was encouraged by Jordan Bruner, our assistant, or our former sports info person. He's like, man, this is pretty good. I'll do some graphics for it if you want to turn it into something. Well, we did, and it was really cool, but I didn't publish a book before. I had no idea. Like, I, what do I mail it to New York? Like, I, I have no idea. So I reached out to Jeremy, and Jeremy was fantastic. Walked me through the whole process, helped me out, and I didn't know if I'd ever sell a single copy. Like, I didn't know at all. Well, that first day it goes up on Amazon, I'm freaking out. Like, will this ever sell? Is anyone even going to? I put one tweet and the book on Amazon, and it went to number one. I was in two categories. I was like, what the hell? Like, who's buying this? This is fantastic. That's amazing. But um, it, it was a crazy process. I have a whole newfound respect for anybody who writes anything. Because that book is 42 pages, and it took forever to get done. I can't imagine writing like a 300-page novel. I mean, it's overwhelming. But um, it, it gives a little insight into what we do. I think a lot of people in college athletics, the, the question that drives everyone crazy who works in college athletics, and you could call Montana right now and ask someone there, is the question, do you work during the summer? <laughs> and you get that all the time. Oh, well, school's out. Do you, do you work? Through? Yes, <laughs> we work. So I think it, it's it's a good resource. A couple schools are using it in their grad programs. Um, it, it just shines a little bit of light into the thought behind how to build an athletic foundation. And, you know, does it translate to University of Georgia? No, <laughs> not at all. Right. Would it transfer to Northeastern? Absolutely. Or... I don't know, Sam Houston State? Absolutely. Well, that's why people get are interested in such things and they get a chance to read that. I mean, that's why I, it's hard because I do try to encourage, and this is for those of you too that maybe went to smaller colleges that weren't Mercer, right, that are listening to this, and you're not engaged with your university. You, I mean, again, not to say, I don't want to feel like I'm just bagging on places like Georgia all the time, but incrementally, you really can make an impact, right, without having to cut a million dollar check, right? Like at a place like Mercer, right? If, or whatever your school is, right? So that's why I try to encourage people like being involved and staying engaged, you, outside of just getting fulfillment personally out of it, it really can be impactful. 
And well, whether, everyone likes to be a big dog. Of and course. you get to be a big dog for a totally different price <laughs> yeah, point. That, no, that's you true. Know, perfect example. First season of football. I'll never forget this. It's game day. Opening game, game day. So you can imagine stresses are high. My office voicemails get forwarded to my cell phone. So a donor, $2,500 donor who gets a named parking spot, called and left a voicemail in my office that said, I lost my parking pass. I don't know what to do. I pick up my phone and call him and say, hey, what? just text me when you're getting close. I'll let you in and I have a second parking pass for you. And he was blown away. Like sure. he almost fainted on the phone. Like you called me back on game day. Right. He's like, Georgia would have charged me again and they would never even have answered. But, and it's nothing against Georgia. They just can't. You get yeah, 90,000 people. Impossible, like it's impossible. Yeah. But that's our level. Like we can know our people. You know, if, if a $500 donor doesn't renew, I know it. Just like at Georgia, if a $100,000 donor doesn't renew, they know it. But you get access. And, you know, your your price point at Georgia, you oh. if you didn't renew, you would never get a call. It's <laughs> like, okay, that guy just didn't respond to the mailing. <laughs> right. If you didn't renew, I'd show up at your house <laughs> and freaking walk in here and make you take out your credit card on the spot. Right. Um, but on the other side of the coin, we won't have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, you know? Yeah, but it's still, it's still, that's a thing. Like, you know, Kyle, you mentioned Kyle Lewis earlier, who again is a Mercer kid who was a national player of the year, was a first round draft pick. It's, I mean, if you, for you guys know this, he got called up um, this year and hit four home runs in the first four games he played, which. Admit, did you stay up and watch? Yeah, I watched every game. Were you freaking out? Yes, I, of course I was freaking <laughs> out. Are you, are you joking? Um, but, uh, it's the same thing. The thing is, too, though, is like the other thing people think is, is I would argue that with foot, baseball is 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 different because I think the parody is a lot. Right. Like the what's the word? The dilution of talent is a lot less. Right. Like you you could have a Mercer team that could go into Florida State and wear them out. Right. You know what I mean? Like it, just if you get the right mix of guys, there's much more often than a football team like Mercer football could go. Yeah, to, we weren't going to Alabama and could win. go to Alabama and win. <laughs> even though we were only a score down with seven minutes left against Auburn. But um so it's a little different, but it's a real like the other thing I try I'll tell people is I think because you don't watch it. You think it's somehow like, especially with football, that it's some kind of like a degraded brand of football. And the reality is, is these kids, this is really the margins you're talking about. These kids are two inches shorter than they're supposed to be, a second and a half slower than they're supposed to be. Um, oh, it's just si- it's 50, physical 50, attributes. 15 pounds lighter than they're supposed to be, right? But if you watch the games, it's not like watching a high school game and then watching an NFL game. Like the margins are very thin. It's the product. The point I'm making is, is at the FCS level, the product quality is extremely high. Like if you want to watch a hell of a football game, watch James Madison and North Dakota state play for the FCS national championship in Frisco, Texas. Those teams can ball, right? Like really good football. And I watch, and I know I'm weird. Like people think I'm weird because I watch all these FCS football games. 
but I like it. And probably one of the reasons too, I like it is because again, nobody's skipping the last game of the year because they're going to go get paid a million dollars in the, nobody's skipping an FCS playoff game because they're going to get drafted and they don't want to get hurt because they're going to go make a million bucks. Now I get those kids are making a business decision, you know, like they don't play in bowl games, but it makes me crazy because I just personally as a human being can't imagine walking out on my teams, right? Well, or my well, teammates. Think, think about John Russ, who is, for those who don't know, he was the starting quarterback for the first four years of Mercer football. His senior year against Sanford, you remember, we, we ended up losing the game. But he had 40-some-odd, 42 rushes. Yeah, nails. For a game that really didn't matter, doesn't matter yeah. in any way. Like, we, aren't, we weren't in the hunt for the championship. We're a 500 team. Like, it didn't, in the grand scheme of the athletic world, didn't matter. And this kid's laying it on the line, rushing 42 times a game as the quarterback. That's the beauty of this, this level. Yeah. I'm they, still they ma- care. I'm still mad that anybody else is wearing number seven. I know that probably sounds premature, but I sort of felt like when he got done, they should have put that one on a shelf maybe for a little while. But anyways. Um, if, that, if that Sanford game, though, was another quarter, we would have won. Remember I, we figured them out? Yeah. And then we dominated that game. It was a bad start, and then we dominated from there on out. And then the next week, was it ETSU or yeah. some, somebody used exactly what we did and beat them? Yeah. So, I mean, but it's but it, it's just – it's it's fun. And, again, like these kids are out there because they love it, right? There's no – I got to do this to go get paid. I got to – you know what I mean? I need to do as well as I can. And, again, I'm not – I'm sure there are kids – obviously there's tons of kids that play in Power 5 that don't play in the NFL. And they do it because they love it too. But um, it's just pure. It's very pure to me. You know what I mean? It's a lot more pure of a product. Um, and, and beyond graduation, I know we've talked about these kids being well-rounded. You are the example of a Mercer person. If you, <laughs> if you look at Sean's resume, he, he has my favorite resume on earth. So, you know, everything from nightclub bar owner to signed band musician to... <laughs> IT to you know, you know admissions like you are Mercer you are what we produce is well-rounded smart interesting people some people know? may call it scattered but um, no it's pursuing passions um, I would say I was well equipped to be able to do other things and not worry you know because I feel like a lot of people that is something that I can take away from my Mercer experience was I did a lot of different things and I've landed like, I love what I do now and it's where I'm supposed to be. Um, but I never was afraid, right. To like take a shot. And cause I was a long shot from the jump. You know what I mean? Like first generation college graduate didn't have any money, um, without athletics and some academic money, I wouldn't have been able to afford to go to Mercer certainly. Right. Um, and you know, so I felt like I'm kind of, I've been playing on house money, like my whole life. So, yeah, but I mean, but that was instilled, you know, Mercer. It's like, if you got something you want to do, like, just go try and do it. I mean, you are a guy who, because of your Mercer degree, has like 47 dog beds in, in his house. <laughs> That's exactly, <laughs> exactly right. For those of um, you who haven't been here, literally every room has like three dog beds, and he only has two dogs. Well, we don't have children. Like, we want him to be comfortable. It's cheaper than private school. Like, 47 dog beds only cost like... 47 dog beds only cost like what? <laughs> like 500 bucks? I mean, you know. Um, so I don't, I mean, but it, again, I just, I supporting your school and trying to stay engaged to me, it's it's one of those things where I want people to sort of have what I have because I, I get a lot from it. Like I get a lot of value from it. Like I, when you, 
I mean, again, the way we met was with Alan London, who is, a, you know, it's like a senior VP in advancement, I think now. And he was an admissions officer when I came to Mercer and we worked together. And then he's the one that hired me into admissions and we've been friends forever. And same thing, like you're talking about, like sight unseen, no prompting, whatever. When you got hired, he called me and said, you need to meet this guy. You guys are going to really like each other. And it, you know, I want you to understand because things are, we're about to do some really cool stuff. And we met at uh, Cafe Intermezzo at Atlantic Station, which is a urban, a mixed use place here in Atlanta and talked. And I knew immediately, I was like, oh my God, this guy's great. Like, I can't wait. This is going to be fun. Yeah. We've had some fun. Yeah. And I'm grateful for everything you've done for me. And 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 Sean keeps me awake on my <laughs> on my road trips on football weekends when he comes with me. Well, neither of us sleep very much. <laughs> so it's funny about building the bear. So you talk about consumable. Like if anybody does get a wild hair and wants to go on Amazon, I'll put a link to building the bear in the description of the podcast as well. But um, I was driving back from uh, an away game with uh, another supporter, um, a guy Bart, who's a was a good friend of mine who used to be. Um, Actually, my boss, that's how we met, and we're still great friends. Um, and uh, we were riding back from, I think, Furman at like 10 o'clock at night, and um, I read it out loud, <laughs> like on the drive. Man, I, that didn't put him to sleep? No, well, <laughs> no, because he's like me, because he loves, I mean, he played football at a mid-major, so he's really into, you know, he likes FCS-level like level stuff as well, and He's also a business, you know, he's a business guy, like a business nerd and it, it, like I am. And, um, but it is very consumable. Like we got through it and, you know, it, it took up, you know, only took up, I mean, we probably got through it an hour and a, a little bit. It didn't take long. And, um, you know, on those road trips, if Sean doesn't make it on the road with me, <laughs> I always call him cause you know, it's late nights, middle of the night I call and invariably we talk about Netflix and what we're watching. So what, what are you watching? Oh, um, excuse the language because I don't, you know, they're swearing in this, but well, don't fuck with cats, which I know you watched. It, so I love horror movies. I love <laughs> suspense, thrillers, etc. I watched it in one sitting. I did too. I and that like off. made my t- stomach turn. I yeah. mean, it was, it was crazy. I don't want to tell anyone about it. It's the most extraordinary, like the most, the, the, I've thought a lot about how to describe it. This is the only word I can come up with. It's the most mesmerizing documentary that I've ever watched. Like just as far, that's my wife coming home if you're here in the garage. Um, literally like once it gets going, I was just sitting there with my mouth open. Every five minutes was another thing where you're like, WTF is going on. <laughs> I mean, literally it's a, it's a combination of the show Catfish. Right. Like forensic Files. <laughs> yeah. You know, a whodunit mystery and catch me if you can. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's all of it and it's real. I mean, it's crazy. It is crazy. And I never want to tell anyone about it. The only thing I will say that obviously some of the subject matter in the first episode is really hard. If you're like, my wife has a, hasn't even decided yet if she's going to watch it because she's such an empath, right? And, you know, there's some cruelty that goes on at the beginning. They don't actually show you it, but they describe it. And even hearing it is, is tough. But it's an amazing one. I mean, it's one of the most engaging documentaries I think I've ever watched. Crazy. Um, so, watch. My wife's desperately trying to get me to watch Shit's Creek. 
You have oh my goodness! <laughs> you just stepped down a rung in my book. I'm that sorry. You have, that you have not watched that. I, that's the best comedy I, on television. You know, here's right the thing. Now. Let me tell you what's funny. I don't like sitcoms. I don't either. Like I just never watched. After them. Seinfeld, I don't think I watched a I sitcom watch since. That. But Schitt's Creek, I've watched twice. All the way through. See, it's I just, unbelievable. See, I just finished Sons of Anarchy all the way through for like the fourth time. Okay. <laughs> that's more my, that's probably more my, my jam. But you know, we, we overlapped on the OA. Yeah. We overlapped on Lucifer. Yeah. Lucifer's good. I'm trying to think. I mean, we, we have similar tastes. John Wick three. I just saw the other day. Great. Finally. On yeah. the first night of Hanukkah, I watched it. Nice. <laughs> Did you like the candles and then watch them John With the Wick? candles, watch John Wick 3. And John Wick 4 and Matrix 4 are coming out the same day. That's this right. Morning. That's like it's a Keanu weekend. I, dude, I, I'm all about some Keanu. He's, hey, he, you can't He's like the Keanu. coolest. Oh, yeah. You heard the story about the bus, right? With the plane? No. He was taking like a jumper flight from like, I mean, it was like San Francisco to, uh, Century City or, you know, somewhere in Hollywood, right? And something happened with the plane and they had to land in like Bakersfield or somewhere. You know, it's like two and a half hours from, like by car, right, from where they needed to go. And there was something wrong with the plane. It was this little piddly airport. You know, it was a little (laughs) commuter jet or whatever. And everybody was trying to figure out how they were going to get whatever. And I think that um, if, if I understand the story right, Keanu rented a bus and said, well, if anybody wants to come, like just climb on, let's just all climb on the bus, and I'll we'll rush ride back. I, I'd be friends with the Keanu. Yeah, and they yeah. and then there's like all these things on like right where like like they stopped and like it's him walking into like a Carl's Jr. <laughs> to get like a hamburger, <laughs> you know, or whatever in between like Bakersfield and L.A. or whatever, like trying to do. But like he's a he's a he's a hip dude. We might have to do a little uh, double feature action. I'm have to come down to Macon for John Wick. Uh, I mean the weekend of Keanu Matrix. Yeah, we got it. We got to do it. Um, so tell me. Um, so for our Mercer peeps that are listening to this, tell us how you get engaged with the Athletic Foundation. Just call me. <laughs> <laughs> no, check out our website. I'm super proud of our website. It's awesome. I don't care if you look at Oregon, Texas, you know Texas A&M. Our website is as good as anybody's. And I'm really proud of it. It's support MAF, you know, Mercer Athletic Foundation, supportmaf.com. Um, or call me directly, email, everything's listed on the website. And even if you just want to call and talk, just call me. Unless I'm talking and then if he clicks over, I'm going to feel like I got better dealt. Yeah, that happens. That happens frequently. I know. I'm. I got. I'm still. I'm still mad at Sybil because anytime Sybil calls you, she always wins. Everyone makes fun of me because I. I'm like, okay, okay gotta go, gotta, gotta go, gotta go, get in call, gotta go. And now I know because right <laughs> when you start to do that, I just go, okay, bye, and hang up. Like I don't even try to like small talk it anymore. I'm just like, I'll just hang up and I go. Um, yeah. So Mercer folks do that. Like I said, um, I'll have some links to all these books. Um, if you're interested in sort of the athletic stuff, I would definitely check out Building the Bear. Um. And while uh, we're on links, you got to post a link to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast about higher ed advancement. Talks about the first $100 million gift ever to a higher ed institution. And you might not agree with everything he says, but it'll make you think. And it's it's really, really interesting. That's awesome. Well, go to support MAF, Mercer Athletic Foundation.com. 
If you're not a donor and you're a Mercer grad right now, what's wrong with you? Um, and if you went to some other school and you don't support your school, you know, I'd encourage you to check out what they're doing and maybe try to get engaged. It really is a, a lot of fun. And you should come to a Mercer football game if you're ever in Macon because it's a good time or a basketball game or a baseball game or and Sean will buy you tickets. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just, which, you know what that means? I'll call Brian and ask him if he can get me some extra tickets. And I will. That's right. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thanks. This is my big return to the ring after the whole shenanigans from last year with being sick. Um, I want to try to get back on a regular cadence with these things. Um, I'll maybe do a solo one to talk about the whole sickness bit because I don't know if a lot, I mean, a lot of people obviously know, but some people don't. And, uh, you know, it's kind of boring. Almost died, didn't. It's fine. Thanks for sticking around. And until next time press on go bears